We're live! <sighs> so exciting. Okay. It is so exciting. But um but but who are you? Please remind me. Who are you and where are you and what do you do? Hey everyone, I'm Jason F. Gilbert and I am the lead character designer at Intuition Robotics and I'm talking to you live from Hugh Jackman's bathroom. No, I'm kidding. I'm actually talking <laughs> live from the Intuition Robotics R&D facilities, which is right outside this door, but it's very loud out there because they're testing robots and um, so I'm hiding in this room and talking to you, Ben. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming along and for reminding me who you are, which of course I knew already because you are one of our most active voices within the conversation design community. Yep. Posting many great videos and uh, showing us the various ways it can be done and uh, eternally grateful for that because I think we need to discuss this field because it's evolving so quickly that, you know, you need to have a handle on what's going on, right? Absolutely. And I, can I return the favor and say thank you, Ben, for watching the videos? You know, one of the things that like you make these videos and I love making videos. I started off as a filmmaker um, and the hardest thing as an indie filmmaker was getting people to watch my movies like in, you know, early 2000s. And I graduated film school in like 99. We were still just then moving over to, to digital. And the trick was now it's easy to make films, but getting people to watch them. And I spent 15, 20 years trying to get people to watch my music videos and films. And then I got into this field of AI and now all of a sudden people are watching my videos. So it's great. So it's, uh, thank you. No worries at all, man. Yeah, it was the same with, with me with music. <laughs> you know, happy to make music and then getting an audience. It's like, good luck. <laughs> but no, uh, what you're making is fantastic. It's really, you know. It, it's food for thought, and that's what we have to do. We have to constantly question what's happening and put different angles on it because we can't really say that we have the answers yet. That Some are settling, right? You know, there are sort of uh, best practices are emerging, but it's slow, and we need to keep discussing it and questioning whether they are the best practices. Exactly, and I think that's a good point because I've been talking about that for the past year or so about what we've been using as our best practices and what we've been sort of relying on as the design guys and conversation designer best practices. Maybe it's something that we need to reconsider. A lot of them are for digital assistance and a lot of them rely on the cooperative principle, which I think is great. But if you're making companion bots or you're making fun in-game agents, uh, the, the, you know, the guidelines don't hold up as well. And I think that's something that is, it behooves us, especially now with the industry sort of in a shift the seismic shift going on, it's a good time to look at those things and see, okay, well, maybe we got it wrong. Maybe we have a better way to design conversations, a better way to, better way to design agents that's not relying on what Google released in 2015 or what Amazon released in 2016. Yeah, man, I totally get you. I totally get you. I think, you know, the cooperative principle is so, it's so succinct and simple that it's almost like, hey, great, if we all just stick to that, we're, we're onto a winner, right? But... But when we're having a conversation right now, you know, perhaps some of those principles are applying, but we're not thinking of it. We're not thinking, you know, uh, are we fitting the right, uh, the right uh, structure of a conversation? <clears throat> exactly. Because you exactly. or I could say anything we want, right? And that's the thing. And that's the beauty of it is that, you know, if I'm always trying to be helpful, I'm always trying, trying to be cooperative, that's not very fun. I mean, we're not having a fun conversation. I might be able to help you get um, your order, uh, if, if I'm an assistant and I'm trying to help you finish an order. But if we're just having a conversation, I want you to be funny. I want you to be unexpected. I don't want you to be 
predictable and cooperative. I mean, that's not what I want. My friends are not predictive. I don't have many friends. Maybe that's why. But they're not very predictive and they're not very cooperative. So, uh, And that's what I enjoy about them. Okay, so 30 seconds, please. Jason F. Gilbert. Sorry, Jason Frederick Gilbert. Yep. Praise your God. <clears throat> what is the most useful thing you use at work? Okay, my computer. Next question. <laughs> it is very useful. And it's not one of the, it's one of the most useful things that I use at work. But I use stuff on the computer that's very useful. So I'm going to give you five useful things that I use on my computer on a daily basis. And I think these things are multimodality. So these are not just for text. These are for conversation designers that are creating experiences that have screens, that have sounds. So one of the tools that I use every day is Canva. Canva is an amazing free tool to create assets for the screen or for the tablet or for whatever. Uh, sound, I go to YouTube Studio and they have an amazing collection of sound effects and free music which you can use for ambient sound. Uh, mm-hmm. This another modality. Um, I use... Uh, Let's see. I use the uh, TTS, Microsoft TTS. I use that a lot and to test out how things sound, how they're pronounced. If I need to make any changes to the SSML, I'm using that a lot. Uh, Dialogflow, that's our NLP. So I use Dialogflow training phrases a lot of times looking, is the intent being mapped correctly? Um, and Pexels. Pexels is another one I, I use a lot because I take a lot of free images and videos from Pexels to create experiences. So, Okay, um, cool. Yeah, so Pexels is like royalty-free images and videos, sounds like. It's an amazing thing. I, I have to give a quick shout-out. I know I'm not in the 30 seconds anymore, but you guys have to check out Pexels. You have to check out Pexels. I was able to create an amazing, and maybe I'll, if we have time, I'll show you. I created these amazing experiences for our customers where they go on road trips across the country. And so I was able to create uh, a road trip using a super 8-millimeter camera footage that I, that I have on Pexels that's free of someone who took Super eight millimeter videos across the country, and I was able to use that, and it's just incredible. Beautiful. Incredible. Yeah, cool, cool. Well, that was far more than thirty seconds, but still, I'm not going to disqualify you because it was a great answer. Okay, thanks, Hugh. Uh, this one, I'm going to be really interested because you said you're going to improvise these. So, I would love if you could nominate one conversation designer that we should all know about and why. And the final part is. Hopefully it's not someone that we all know, like Rebecca Evanhoe or Kathy Pearl or, you know, Jonathan Bloom or someone like that. So is there one you can nominate? <clears throat> okay, so if I nominate one, I'm going to get shit from the 3,000 other ones that I love and adore and I think they're amazing. If I say Benjamin McCulloch, it's, I can't use that because everybody knows Benjamin. I can't use Benjamin. So I'm going to say GPT-3, okay? Because no one's going to say GPT-3, okay? Oh. I'm going to tell you why I'm going to say GPT-3 because... I've been playing around with it lately, okay? And there's a lot of flaws to GPT-3, um, but it's going to put us out of work if we're not careful. Uh, so I would say that. But if, on a serious note, like if we're actually asking about serious conversation designers, I don't want to give any names. Okay, that's cool. And I'm going to stick... A, that, that's all you're saying? Yeah? I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to stick... A, okay. I'm sticking a pin in that and we're going to come back to it because I think it's really, really, uh, it will be very enlightening and I don't want to end that story there. But Okay, uh, you know what? Fine. I'm going to give one name. I have to because he's one of the people that inspired me. But everyone knows him, so I don't know if that's really worth... That's fine. Steve Worswick, man. Steve is the creator of Mitsuku, of Cookie, man. And I think that um, because of Steve, I'm, I'm, I'm creating Anna. Because of Steve's work, I start working on Anna, really. I focus on Anna. And that really 
paves the way for where I am right now. So personally, I owe a huge debt of gratitude to Steve Worswick and the creator of, of Mitsuku Cookie. Yeah, man, that's a great answer. And he's one who actually I think not enough people do talk about. And uh, yeah, like he's made this incredible rules-based bot that stands up there against all of the like algorithmic stuff that's out there, right? It can talk about pretty much anything. Yeah, it's, um, it's incredible. It's basically a handmade robot, a handmade chatbot. Handmade meaning he did everything by hand, wrote all yeah. the responses, and, and it does better. It tests better. It does better benchmark than these large language models, as you say, that have billions of dollars of investment. Um, yeah. And, Hundreds, if not thousands, of, of people working on it, and this guy's doing it by himself. Yeah, Correct. totally, 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 totally. The funny thing is, that's not the part I was going to come back on. <laughs> well, actually, you know, you said that uh, GPT three could put us all out of a job. Yeah, I think we should talk about that. Do you really believe it? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I would say that you know the. The result that an algorithm creates is going to be different from what we would create if we're designing a conversation. And it could work in some scenarios, but you always need a human in the loop, right? Someone who's always checking it and making sure that it's it's at least in the ballpark, if not absolutely like on the button. What do you yeah. think? <clears throat> well, I think there is a human in the loop, and I still think that GPT-3 has humans in the loop, and I think there's a lot less of us in the loop, and I think that the scalability of this thing is much greater. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's really the only... Uh, I've been talking to it recently. Uh, I, I did a whole series of researching these uh, <laughs> mental health chatbots. I don't know if you've seen any of those. I wear the funny like fish, he- fish head or whatever, duck head. Yeah. And I talk to these things, and some of these things are... Uh, still handwritten. There's a thing called Wiza, which is a, 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 a mental health chatbot out of, I'm not sure where actually they're out of. It's an amazing group of people that have created. And this thing is not GPT-3 based. It's, it's actual therapists writing the content. Mm-hmm. I think it's an amazing, an amazing chatbot. And then you have uh, these, they're popping up like mushrooms right now on, on, on Play Store. These All these companionship apps that are like a replica, anima, um, and these basically GPT-3 and you just talk to a GPT-3 and you pay money for it. And people are actually paying money for it. It's a model. It's probably the only business model so far for conversational AI that is that's works, that has some kind of monetization that people are actually paying for. So there's something okay. to be said for that. And, and I was a purist for the longest time. I still am. I still think that there's this thing is not ready for use <laughs> currently. And, but it has, I found specific use cases for it that I think it's amazing and can really work really well. Yeah. Um, so... I think that, you know, there's still the big issue to me with GPT-3 is that it doesn't really understand common sense. It understands mm-hmm. linguistic. It understands words. It's able, but it doesn't really, it doesn't have common sense. It doesn't have the ability to reason or to understand. Or maybe, maybe, maybe it's so goddamn smart that it does. And it's just fooling us into thinking that it can't, which is scarier, I think, than a previous option. <laughs> No, totally. Well, that's it. There's a lot of danger with it, right? Because if it's in a therapy scenario and it's not able to use common sense to give the right advice, that's very dangerous, right? So oh, absolutely, especially that. I mean, that's a, that's an area where you don't. And I saw it sometimes. I was talking to one of the GPT threes, and it, at one point, it's it had me questioning my own reality, and I'm like, this is not helpful for people that have borderline issues or personality issues. You don't want to. 
the therapist isn't there to, to make them question their reality. And, and, and I think it, very quickly, the GPT-3 took me the, I'm not an AI, but maybe you are. And I'm like, oh, maybe I am an AI. I didn't think about that <laughs> now. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I, I get where you're coming from. And it's just, you know, you say it works on some use cases. I'm just constantly at the back of my mind thinking, is this going to put conversation designers out of work? And I think probably as we're finding with AI in other areas, it's great at some things and not great at others. And humans and AI are kind of complementary, right? So maybe it could cover some use cases, whereas you need human conversation designers to cover the other ones. <clears throat> I hope so. I need a job. I mean, I'm, this is the only thing I know how to do, really. <laughs> and you're very good at it. Okay, I'll move on. I'll move on. Uh, how do you make sure your design is good enough? Wow. Uh, it's never good enough. That's the thing you always find later on when it's released. You're like, ah, oh, crap, I should have done that better. But for the sake of this question and for 30 seconds, I will say that working on a team my designs are ready when my vision or the, the, the idea that I'm trying to get across is clear to every person who's involved in this thing in the process. Developers, UX designers, uh, uh, you know, anybody, anyone who's working on the modalities or the, or the conversation part of it needs to understand kind of like what I'm getting at, uh-huh. what I mean, and how, you know, how to implement that. And I think that if I can make that clear in a design doc, a product requirement document or whatever it is, a sample flow. If I can do that and there's not many questions and they can start working on it, then that's a good design, I think. Okay, perfect, perfect. Thanks. That's way more than 30 seconds, but great answers. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's it's not you. That's just a picture on the wall. It's, it's all you, man. It's all you. <laughs> so... Our 30 seconds go has taken 15 minutes. <laughs> so I've got a few more questions for you, 10 of them, but let's see how many we can get through because okay. like everything you say is golden. So I don't, you know, I'm happy. Like what you did, what you've given so far was amazing. Here's some more though, right? Let's do it. So you're working on LEQ and LEQ is primarily providing companionship to older generations, right? Older uh, adults in the US, exactly. Older, older adults. So how do you see like bots as companions to people? Um, like, can you talk generally about that? Where does LEQ fit into their life? Absolutely. So I think one of the big things is we've seen this over the past few years during COVID and the pandemic, people were just isolated. They were at home a lot. But this thing is actually common to older adults. Older adults in the U.S. spend like eight to ten hours a day, sometimes more, not saying anything to anyone because there's no one to interact with. They don't have, you know, maybe the caretaker comes in for an hour or two, maybe the son or the grandson calls. But there's a lot of time in the day. Um, And so I think this is where AI can come in and provide companionship. Uh, what we have right now with the limited technology where we're at right now, what we can do is we can answer questions, we can play games with them, we can keep them sharp. And I think that's kind of our guiding our guiding line here at uh, Intuition Robotics is how do we keep our customers sharp physically? So we offer physical activities, yoga, mindfulness, but also exercise videos. Uh, but also how do we keep them mentally sharp? So we offer games, cognitive games. Um, and one of the things that I'm working on is because they're alone and they're at home and some of these people are uh, aging in place, meaning they can't 
They can't leave. They don't have the ability to leave. They can't. They need help, paratransit or whatever. I'm creating these virtual experiences for them where I take them to a cafe in, in, in Paris. And they have, so you, again, this is going back to what I said earlier about getting music and getting pictures and sort of creating on this screen, this virtual, sort of taking them, they're stuck at home in their living room next to this mm-hmm. little lamp-like robot, but in their minds, we can go places. And I think that's my my strategy in terms of how to help these people with loneliness. Uh, a lot of these people haven't been to the places that they love, like museums. So putting a museum ex- exhibition in LEQ uh, and getting images from the National Gallery of Art, which is uh, open domain, public access, stuff like that. That's cool. So it's like... Uh providing references to them that are like talking points to to as you say like keep them sharp to keep them interested and yeah it, it's fantastic um and so can you talk cuz i i feel like as far as conversation designers go you're kind of one of our gurus of persona because you talk about persona so much and you're so into it and i think it's really related to you know, all the work you've done, like uh, from filmmaking, where you're, you know, creating characters and then working with actors to realize them. And then uh, with Anna and now with LEQ. So LEQ's persona, to me, is kind of chirpy and youthful. Am I am I on track with that? Well, well I mean, it's a, yes, I, I try to keep her young, but I think the idea here is the personality needs to be something that well, we tried to go with something that would, it's a, it's a good question. And I, I should be able to answer this a lot easier because this is what I do. No worries. It might be a complex answer. No, it's, it is a bit of a complex answer. See, the thing is, is uh, there's a lot of debate on what should this companion be? Should the companion be an, an older, like an older voice and be someone that, that's their peer? Should it be yeah. someone that's very young and, and you know, and there's a lot of debate, and there was a lot of research done at the beginning uh, when this company was founded in 2017 about these things, about who should the persona be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I came in, there was already a very clear persona that they had created. And so it's very hard to come into an existing organization and say, okay, well, change everything uh, and let's do this when you have existing customers who are used to it. So yeah. it's like you get in and you acquire uh, this sort of personality that exists and people are familiar with it and they've been living with it so it's very hard then to go and make changes to that personality because that would then like you changed my friend i've been living with my robot for two years now and now all of a sudden it's totally different so the idea of the personality is that it needs to be something it needs to be someone that they would like to have in their house right this is someone that's living with you can you imagine living with someone that's tedious or boring or sounds like they talk really slowly and monotonously because that's how you should talk to older adults so all these notions of how this thing and how the researchers say this thing should be this field is so wide open and it's so unexplored there's still so much i don't know our approach has been we need to create a kind of agent that they can connect to, that they can feel uh-huh. if it's too young, they might be triggered and it might remind them of, you know, if they don't have grandkids or, you know, if, they're, if they don't like the generation, like the stuff, then it might trigger them. Um, so it's a really, it's a challenge, but her persona is, I think the most important aspect of this, of who she is, because she has to live with them for 24 seven. Uh, yeah. And if you don't like who you're living with, you're not going to want to, and stay in your house 
No, totally, totally. I mean, I've I've been involved in a few discussions about Persona recently where for most people making transactional bots for a bank or something, they're like, Persona, whatever, as long as it gets the job done, people are happy. You know, I, I feel like... Uh, but there's a, there's I, something wrong about that, about that approach. And there's something okay. inherently... And I've been fighting that approach since the very beginning, uh, since I started working on bots in 2015, when people have been saying exactly, why does it need... It's just a Nike bot. It doesn't need to have a personality. It's just selling them shoes. Yeah. And the idea is that the minute it says something, the minute it speaks or types or says something in any language, you've already determined things about it. You've already made assumptions about who it is. Uh, and so if you don't get ahead of that and create this persona for your brand or whatever, then the customers who are re- interacting with this thing are going to draw their own conclusions and make their own persona based on what they perceive of this thing. And then you have your brand is is viewed as thousands of different things by thousands of different people because there's just no voice. So yeah. push back on the idea that you don't need persona. Even the stupid, sorry, not even the simple FAQ chat bot that is for Nike needs to have a bit of persona because otherwise it needs to be, it doesn't have to be funny. It doesn't have to be a stand-up comedian. It doesn't have to tell dad jokes, but it needs to be in line with the way Nike is promoting themselves on social media and their voice. Mm-hmm. Totally needs to have that. Yeah, I, I totally get you. I totally get you. I feel like, uh, you know, it's it's sort of like different designers have their own feelings on this. But as I said, like, I feel like you're very strong, strongly into Persona. You've got really great views on it. Um, so if if we're talking about like a hypothetical Nike bot or any any sports brand or whatever, then if the Persona is something that you know, you as a designer have created, how do you, like, how far do you go with that? You know, should that Nike bot be prepared to talk about whatever the user wants to talk about to keep the persona consistent, like to 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 kind of develop the persona further than the actual use case? No, 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 no. I, I think that's a bit too much. I think that's going too far. I think that... The idea with the Nike shoe thing is like, okay, you have a domain and what are you trying to do? And I think that this is like, if it's not clear what the Nike bot is meant to do, then yeah, you're going to have trouble and then you're going to start questioning whether, hey, do I need to answer what is the meaning of life? Or do I need to talk about the Russia-Ukraine war? Because it's ongoing, it's in the news. (laughs) But the truth is, is that the, the Nike bot needs to be, it needs to have a purpose. I'm assuming that it wants to sell you shoes. So all it needs, it has a goal. It needs to sell you. So it, it really wants to sell you shoes. So if your questions have anything to do with the sale of the shoe, they'll probably have an answer for it. And if it's not like, listen, I'd love to talk to you about that. But really, I, you know, I need to I need to show my boss that I'm making, a, you know, that I'm doing my work. So let's try and, you know. So the idea of personality can help you bring it back from, hey, let's talk about this other thing because you're an agent, an AI. And I'm curious about your capabilities. Let's bring it back to, hey, what is what is it we're trying to do here? And this is we're trying to get you the right shoes because you came to us because we're the best shoe company in the world. I don't know if Nike is, but whatever. That's how they would present themselves. This bot would present itself. You know, we're the best yeah. shoe company in the world and we want to help you, you know, get running, you know? So what do we, how do we do that? And then, so the idea, the, the beauty of it is, and this is something we used to do a lot with our bots at in-person was we would sort of sometimes 
have an answer, either a generic answer, if it's something, you know, and then bring it back to the flow and sort of always acknowledge, never ignore. I think the big mistake that a lot of chatbot developers do is they ignore that input about the Russian Ukraine war. Even just that, like, listen, I'd love to talk to you about that, but, you know, I just, whatever, some excuse, let's go back and talk about this. Yeah. Is much more effective than ignoring that and saying, well, so you want to buy the shoes? Like, no. What about what I just said about the Russian Ukraine war? Aren't you going to acknowledge that? Yeah, I totally get you. I mean, with that particular example, I guess we should step away from using Nike just in case this is a, you know, whatever their stance is on anything. Um, let's say like a hypothetical shoe company, let's call it Moon Moonstar. Likey. Likey. Even better than Moonstar. Likey. So Likey. let's say they have a political stance, you know, I, I know that the Ukraine-Russia war is an, ex, an extreme example, uh, but maybe a stance on anything political, uh, like... Abortion. Maybe they have a stance on abortion. abortion. Maybe they're like, yeah, you know, pro-choice is what you should be talking about, or pro-life, or whatever. Yeah, yeah totally. I guess anything political is extreme because that's extreme too, but you've, you've yeah. suggested it, so let's go with it. So no, if it- the brand itself has a stance on something like abortion, then the bot should perhaps either be ready to talk about that or at least the persona should be some kind of reflection of that. Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Otherwise it's disingenuous and people understand that it's like, and this is the problem I think that a lot of people have with current chatbots and agents is that they're always trying to please. They don't ever have a opinion, excuse my French, and they're just like, even if the company and the brand, they're just like, we're so afraid we don't want the bot to have any opinions. It's like, no one wants to talk to that kind of agent. Nobody. And that's why yeah. people aren't talking to it. That's why people aren't engaging with it. Like, Anna, the reason people liked it so much, and I had before that, I had something called Henry the Mean Bot. Henry the Mean Bot would just take anything you said and just spit it back to you as an insult. Yeah. People loved it because it wasn't, it was, it wasn't this corporate you, PC culture agent. It wasn't, it was just raw. And I think that if you are going to have a stance as a company, then this agent should be an extension of that. And so if you support pro-choice likey, then your agent, the likey bot, should also be talking about why and explain. Because this is a great opportunity. This is what the bot is for. It's, okay, we give you the headlines and then the agent can tell you more, give you more info about why we think that way and why we approach it this way. Um, so yeah, it, it needs to talk about it. It can't shy away from it. I feel like you were just, there was something I really want you to elaborate on. You were just saying, this is what the bot is for. What is the bot for? Please, in your own words. Yeah, the the bot is for more information. I mean, literally, you go to that agent because you want to get, you want to know more about what you just read, what you just saw, what you're looking at. So Mm -hmm. when I was creating for Muppets, Miss Piggy, people wanted to talk to her to get more info about what they saw on the show which is something that we all do. We all watch something and we're like, oh, I want to get more info about it. So I go onto Reddit or I go into here and I look for interpretations. And this is what the beauty that the agent, it's sort of in entertainment, we call it transmedial because it sort of transcends that media and it goes into the worlds of one-on-one interaction and other places. And so the bot, Miss Piggybot, was able to answer intimate questions about her life in the show that weren't talked about on the show. Uh, and I think that that's what bots can right now currently can do a really good job at. So let's say you have a product. 
don't just put the bot with the, the general FAQs that everyone's giving stuff that like, you know, maybe the stuff that is more interesting or the stuff you're not talking about as much. So there's actual value to people talking to the agent as opposed to, I, I could have just read that on the website. Thank you. That was totally useless. I get you. I get you. It's like using the bot to to fill in more detail if people want to explore it, to give them more context behind whatever the, the company is doing or selling. Exactly. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Um, there's so much stuff you talk about that I want to tap into. And it's like, I know that we've not got so much time, um, but let me just look at my questions. Uh, <clears throat> well, actually, something you were talking... Yeah, please, clean Hugh's teeth. They're not shiny enough. Those could be whiter. <laughs> um <laughs> Actually, you were talking about text-to-speech, and of course, I'm super into that. And you're using Microsoft, and I saw a video you did recently where there is, uh, like, it whispers a little, and it does some laughter and things. And that's that's a very exciting toolkit to have at your fingertips, right? So how, what are you doing with that? How are you using it? Oh, my God. I mean, Ben, you know exactly the struggle. We, we talked, and, and Ben, full disclosure, was helping us as a freelance a year, year ago, was it, with some yeah, yeah. creating these types of sound effects. So what we were trying to do is, see, the thing is, is that we didn't want to go into the Uncanny Valley. And, and I don't want to go too much into what the Uncanny Valley is and the theory behind it. I don't, I'm not a huge believer in it, but... Mm-hmm. It's one of those principles that guides a lot of conversational AI startups and, and companies. Yeah. And so, the, and so in order to avoid this idea of the Uncanny Valley, when they first created LEQ, they wanted to give her a very monotonous voice. Okay. Very robotic, very synthetic voice. It doesn't mm-hmm. have in any way resemble a human so that no one's ever confused that you're talking to a human. Because it's, it's a robot and they're older adults and you don't want to confuse older adults because there's already issues of cognitive dissonance and their technology, their People are afraid of technology as they get older, and they're not really used to it. Okay, yeah. yeah. And so what I, when I came in, I was like, well, we need to make her more empathetic because these people are at home with her. They're suffering. They're by themselves. I get it that you don't want to – no one's confusing this thing for a human. It looks like a lamp. I was like, there's not an issue here. Let's give her the ability to like – if you say to her, you know what, my best friend um, passed away last night, instead of her saying, that sounds awful, Michael, she'd be like, oh. Michael, I'm sorry to hear that. I mean, and then the difference between that and that is enormous. It's an entire world. I'm not going to go into the details, but we had someone who said that recently. And she was moved to tears by the uh, change, the shift of the voice, the the, the changing. So there's very subtle things you can do with the voice and with sound effects and these things to create empathy to help these people out because what you want to do is you want to be there like a person would for them. You don't want to replace people in their lives. You want to connect them to other people in their lives. But when there's no one there, the best you can do is try to be empathetic to what they're going through. And I think that through the TTS, we were, we're trying to, and um, varying degrees succeeding in creating these moments of empathy using these special kinds of styles that, the Microsoft Azure uh, suite has, which I think is incredible. Um, so that's really the, the way we're using it is in a lot of places, but it's really to try at this point, it's really to try and capture when they're saying things that are, that are very sad or that they're, they're sharing very intimate moments with us. And in those moments we want to shift and become, you know, and sh- 
And this is where her other modalities come into play because she's a robot and she can gesture. So she can move her head forward like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And just that slight movement of the head and then the lights on her thing and then just maybe like an empathetic picture on the screen, you're using and you're, you're leveraging the, the power of all the modalities. And we do this, and you and I have talked about this, and I've learned a lot, great deal from you in terms of what paralanguage is and how to use paralanguage and how we use paralanguages as humans and how to sort of mirror that within our, our, our robots, agents, our multimodal agents. So, Yeah, that's great. That's great. Well, thanks for the... Uh... Thanks for saying that helped, because uh, I, I feel like it's one of these huge areas that deserves more exploration, and oh, your work's brilliant. Um, you know, it seems to me, just as you're describing it, like there's huge value in LEQ empathizing and allowing the the person LEQ's with to just express themselves, like get it out, whatever they're feeling, you know, because... Um, have have you found that there have any of them said that they're more happy sharing with LEQ than with another person? Because I know that there is this phenomena with bots, right? Especially therapeutic bots. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, I, I haven't come across any that have that have said in, explicitly. I prefer this than, but I have you know we as conversation designers. We see we see logs, conversation logs, and that's how we iterate on conversation, we improve on conversations. We look at what the inputs are, what the utterances are, how we could handle them better, how we could, you know, create a more delightful experience, how we could account for them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you see things and you read things of people that you're like, Well, I I my guess is they would probably never say this to another human. Yeah, yeah. And they're saying it to, to the robot. So that to me is like indication that they're not explicitly saying what you're saying but it's in the actual utterances they're they're doing it yeah yeah it's 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 amazing um you know i, I have a pal here in in, in Brno where i live who's a psychologist and i was saying to him you know I'm, I'm in conversation design and there's a lot of work on therapeutic bots kind of like testing the water how much he wants to talk about it in case he was going to be like oh what a waste of time that's rubbish and he was like we need this. I, I know that LEQ isn't specifically therapeutic, but she's kind of, she has to be empathetic. She has to be there for people when they want to speak about something that's personal, uh, sensitive or whatever. And he was really like, we need this. There's so many people who, if it helps, it's a huge help. And then that leaves the psychologist for people who need even more help, you know, need to really go and work something out. Um, so I, I see like there's there's huge value in it, right? It's it's really it's a super useful thing to be developing. Absolutely, and then it's doubly so when it comes to this vulnerable population um, because think about it, like what you're suggesting is absolutely a hundred percent accurate, and I see it when I was doing the mental health chatbots. I saw that it was you could talk, you have issues, you can talk about your anxiety, you can talk about loneliness, loss, whatever, even with the chatbot. Or you can talk to an actual licensed therapist. One of these, we can schedule an appointment. So start off with the app, the chatbot, and then and then when it's a bit more complex. But that's not for, I don't see a lot of older adults in their 70s and 80s going on to the Play Store looking for these mental health chatbots. So yeah. they don't, like, there's no notion of this idea that I can talk to anyone but a therapist. Um, and so having... 
yeah. LNQ there at times. I mean, we're not selling her and we're not promoting her as a therapy agent. This is more of a companion, but just mm-hmm. like a companion would let you talk about things. Um, that's where really like you can come in and be, and be empathetic and, you know, offer advice or offer you to do something together or just sit and listen or watch a sunset together, which is something that you can also do, which is nice. Or do a meditation, oh. mindfulness meditation together. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great. I mean, even just to add on to what you're saying, like, uh, Amongst the older folks that I know, there is a stigma about going to a psychologist. You know, amongst many of them, it's like, nope, nope, you know, because, like, you know, they were born straight after the war or even before or during the the Second World War. And it's like really kind of the mentality to try and put a word on it is like tougher. It's like, you know, we don't do that. We just get on with it. And it's yeah, like, no, I, so. Absolutely. No, I, I know this. I, my parents are boomers. Okay. I mean, my, my parents are the customers that I'm designing for. There's the, they're in the age group. Yeah, yeah. They would never in their lives, like their answer to mental health was exercise. You need to exercise more. You need to get more sunlight. That's not, you don't need to talk to someone in a room. You need to. And so when I started going to therapy, because I'm, I didn't want it to be something that was stigmatized for me. I was like, I'm going to go to therapy. I also live in Israel where we have, um, you know, socialized medicine, so it's free. So, you know, why not? If it's free, I'm going to go get my mental health thing. Um, sure. So I I went to mental health and went to the psychiatrist and therapist and for me, but I can totally understand why this generation, and I would never tell my parents about it because they would look down on me. They would be like, they would uh-huh. be judgmental that I would go out and seek help for something that's easily solvable by just eating right exercising and you know and just getting some sunlight yeah no i totally get you man totally get you it's uh i yeah you know like the whole therapeutic area i know that leq isn't specifically doing that but i see that she can help in that area you know where people need to express themselves but there's other stuff i want to talk you talk to you about as well um so you spoke about about multimodality, and I I really want to know more about that. I'm personally not so experienced with designing a bot that can use various modalities other than either chat or sound, voice, whatever. Um, so when you have options like you've got voice, you've got a screen, LEQ has gestures and other stuff. Does she have anything beyond that? She has five modalities. So we have the gestures. We have uh, speech, we have sound, we have uh, the screen, and we have lights, LED lights here. Yeah, and of course, of course, of course. The so, LED lights are the modality that indicates the turn-taking, and that's sort of like the critical one, because that sort of like with Alexa has the, the blue dot when you know, okay, it's my turn to talk, and okay, now it's your turn to talk. So th- that's the that's what the lights are mainly, primarily for. Yeah, cool, okay. So... Uh, sounds like they're a bit more like functional sort of feedback for the user and not so much involved in the interaction, the lights. Well, that's not entirely true because there are parts of the interaction that use her lights. For instance, um, when she has, when, uh, I don't know, like she has a special announcement to have like lights on her head go up. Or when you're taking a selfie, like you can take a selfie. Like let's say you went... She took you to the cafe in Paris. Huh? You went there, you had a good time. And then she's like, you want to take a selfie here while we're in Paris so you can share oh. it with your friends? So you take a selfie and there's like a nice background of the Eiffel Tower. And she kind of like lowers her head 
Because our crown lights sort of give you a nice little, like, uh, just a, like uh, improved lighting on your face so that when you take a selfie and you send it to your fam- family members, it's a bit nicer. So there are areas where the lights are actually part of the interaction. And they're not just uh, the turn-taking. But the turn-taking, I think, is sort of the main function of, those, of the lights at the moment. Yeah, cool. No, I get you. I get you. And what you're saying about the selfie, it's a lovely touch. It's like I can I can really see that that's gonna that's gonna make people smile. It's like it's a really nice thing. Um, so when you've got all these modalities available to you, and you're designing her conversations, how do you choose what should happen when? How are you orchestrating all of this stuff? Like what what's first, and then what do you add, or what can you tell me about that? That's tell me question. everything. It's a great question. It's a great question, and it speaks to one of the main issues in robotics today, in conversation design robotics, which is there's not a single platform for designing multimodality experiences on robots. And I've talked a lot about this, and I've asked a lot of people about this. I've talked to people at different robotics companies and asked them about it as well. No one has this. Ideally, we would have some kind of like voice flow or some kind of thing where you could you know, no code, you can just, okay, this is where the lights come in, and now when she says this line, she also has this, this, and this, like, this sound effect, this gesture, and this thing, and, like, that would be amazing. We don't have that right now. Yeah, sure. What we have is, everything is driven, in a way, by the speech, by what she's saying, and everything else is there to support kind of what she's saying. So whatever she's saying, and the tone of what she's saying, the other things, the other modalities are there to leverage support and emphasize that so if we're talking about something and so we use the screen but the screen is not only to uh enhance this it's also for people that are hard of hearing for instance mm-hmm. so you have a screen because some of our customers are hard of hearing and some of them uh, can't see so they have a voice so we have these modalities which are accounting for uh, 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 not disabilities but just lack of abilities or sort of... Um, accessibility. Yeah, accessibility, thank you. Yeah. Um, it's not for accessibility. But I think at the end of the day, what I start with is a sample script. It's like a, from my days as a screenwriter, I start with uh, a sample script, but the sample script has in it, like I know that if I'm saying this and I want her to laugh, then I also want the lights to come out at the same time. And I also, like there needs, to, these things need to be timed. So there is a bit of but everything is driven by the actual speech, by the, by the text. Yeah, okay, I get you. Well, uh, a few things that you touched on there, um, like, I hadn't even thought, like, when I posed the question to you, I hadn't thought of it through the lens that you're actually also going to have to modify it for various users because some uh, won't, won't see and some won't hear. Uh, so, yeah. It's a really complicated problem because I, I know, you know, even if we're just focusing on the, the aspect of how to, you know, how to orchestrate all of these things, like a, a film animator, they would look in a mirror as they say the line and then see how their face changes. And, you know, like, as far as I know, like they would uh, copy every face movement and create that like in the linear path and then you've got the full gesture 
as far as I know, like I think that's even like an older practice. I'm not sure how they're doing it now. They probably just film it and then it's all digitally done. Like the algorithm copies their face movements onto the character. Yeah, there's probably some kind of motion capture that they're using uh, for for these things, or Blender or whatever, like Blender, the 3D thing where you can. But it's an amazing. I, I I didn't know that actually about the animators. So that's an interesting little tidbit right there. No, it's an older one, yeah. And like even you know, if we're talking about like an animated film, like an older one, like perhaps Shrek or something. They recorded the actors first. So first you have the, the screenwriter writes the script. Then the actor in the voice studio, they, they uh, record their lines. I'm sure they filmed it to get the facial expressions. And then they generated the, the video, you know, the rendered all of the uh, like Shrek and all the various characters. So like that's, I guess, pretty much the linear path that you're going through, seems. You're writing yeah. your script, then you're vocalizing it, then you're adding on the gestures and movements. Exactly. Yeah. yeah? Okay. Yeah, I mean, sometimes we do the gestures first if there's like, or specific expressions, specific things. Like, for instance, like the, the, the fact that we have the TTS for like, hmm, or I don't understand. So it helps us with fallbacks. So it's one of the things that I was like, when I got to the company, every one of the fallbacks was, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't understand. I'm like, we got to stop with that. We gotta, first of all, we got to stop apologizing for everything. And we got to stop with that line because it was like they had these global default fallbacks. I don't know who was the genius that thought about global default fallbacks, but it doesn't work. It's a it cliche, worked. right? They're cliches, and we yeah, wouldn't use yeah. those in conversation. It never work. And it's just like, why do we keep on? And every platform that I've ever used always has global defaults. And it's like, why? So... One of the things that I did was, okay, well, let's use these these gestures. Let's use the modalities to express confusion. Just like we as humans would be like, huh? Like, we would be like, huh? Like, we would use our face. We would, like, make a noise. So, I was like, like, hmm. And then maybe, like, our head was like, hmm. Can we try saying that again? Or something like that. Or that's a bad line. But, like, something that would sort of get them back into the conversation and is not, I'm sorry, I didn't hear what you said. Yeah, issues with I don't hear I didn't hear what you said because it also kind of like puts the blame on the user or the customers like uh-huh. they're not to blame that you're a limited terrible robot with bad technology and, and just lazy writers like that's <laughs> not their fault they're, they did, they said yes you know? I'm yeah. sorry I didn't just can you rephrase that I said yeah. yes you know what do you want me to say yeah like that's my rephrasing. So yeah. it's like I, I don't like those types of responses, but I see it everywhere I go, and I encounter it all the time. So I'm assuming that people know better than me. <laughs> no, I, I, I absolutely get you on this because I think if we're trying to stimulate conversation, the last thing we want to do is say say something that's totally cliche that someone probably as they hear it if they've ever used another bot, they're going to be like, "Oh God, it's a bot!" Like you know, wrenching you out of the conversation, like oh, God, there's so much I could say about that, because then maybe you do want to break the suspension of disbelief because you do want to remind them that it's a bot. Possibly. I mean, that, that, that there's a better ways of phrasing it than that. There's better yeah. ways of thinking what they said and being... It's just a matter of how lazy you are. And I think that, <laughs> really, it really is, because you can come up with local fallbacks all the time. Local fallbacks are fine. I have no problem with local fallbacks and, and yeah. expressing that you're a bot, taking what they said and maybe like asking them to clarify. I, I don't have as much problem with that. I have a problem with global default fallbacks that are just that lazy developers. Are like, yeah, throw it in. Okay, good. I like. <laughs> it worked. 
so uh, LEQ is with people every day. It's their companion bot. How, how is your design modifying for a user that's been with LEQ for a long time as opposed to a new user? Um, that's an amazing question, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy you asked that question because I think this is the biggest issue that I've encountered here, and it's something that I wasn't prepared for as much as probably I should have been when I started here. I started working with chatbots that were one-offs. They were like, you know, at the most one or two times you'd have returning users, you'd have a special welcome back for that user, or you'd remember that they'd been through the conversation before. But there wasn't much in the way of remembering the conversation, personalizing it, forming a relationship. With Anna, that I started doing that, but that was around the same time as, I don't know if this is still a thing, but the uh, GDRP or GDPR or whatever the heck that thing was, the privacy, big privacy issues, meaning we couldn't. I had to disable all state in Anna, meaning I couldn't talk to users on Facebook and then remember what they had told me, which limited Anna's abilities. She was able to have much better conversations once she knew you, but that those things were disabled because of uh, privacy issues. And now I'm at, with LEQ, it's an amazing, amazing challenge because you're living with this person day in, day out. The expectation is, is that you evolve over time. You get to learn about this person. And then you, after you learn this person and their routines, that you'll become a better companion to this person. Because you know that they wake up every morning at 8 a.m. So you're not going to do anything before 8 a.m. You're not going to ask them any questions. You're not going to reach out to them. LAQ is a proactive agent, which makes her very unique in this landscape. Uh, proactive meaning that she reaches out. She doesn't wait for you. And this is ties us into Hugh Jackman. Um, when she perceives your face, she has vision. When she perceives your face, she initiates a conversation. And she has an algorithm based on different conditions and different parameters. Mm-hmm. But if she sees you and it's the time of day that you're, you know, she's, if it's 11 o'clock at night, she's probably not going to say anything because it's nighttime and she doesn't want to disturb you. But if it's, you know, maybe it's one o'clock in the afternoon and she knows you just, you know, had lunch. So she asks you, so how was that tuna sandwich that you had? Yeah. And just that question alone, how was that tuna sandwich implies, I know you had lunch. I know that you had a tuna sandwich because you told me about it. And I also might know that tuna is your favorite type of food because you eat that every day for lunch. So, you know, uh, that's one example. But also another example is when they come and they go. Like, that's another big thing. And, and LAQ does this really well. When they leave, she's like, oh, you know, are you leaving? Yeah, okay, well, have a good time out there. You know, where are you going? I'm just going to the meet Betty at the rec center. We're going to play some cards, and then, you know, maybe I'll go for a walk. And then they come back four hours later from meeting Betty for lunch and playing cards. And Ellie goes, oh, welcome back, Mary. How was, how was Betty doing? How was the cards? And it's just like, it's not very hard to program that type of response, but you don't understand how effective that is for someone who lives by themselves. Yeah, to yeah, have yeah. to say, oh, welcome back, or oh, yeah, have yeah, fun yeah. out there. Um, so little things like that in a relationship can mean, so it's really finding spots, because there's no way you, with the limited technology that we have today, you can account for everything that they're going to say and all the stuff, but you can find specific moments to show that you're a good companion. And I gotcha. think that that's kind of how that informs our designs. Uh, today for a long-term relationship. Dude, that's amazing. That was an incredible tuna sandwich. (laughs) 
This conversation was an amazing tuna sandwich and I've been so greedy to keep you here when you've got another meeting and you're getting Slack messages. It's just I'm <laughs> so happy to be able to tap you for information because like, you're an inspiration. You're, you're sharing so much great stuff. You've done so much great work. So thank you. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for this. And thank you, Hugh Jackman. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, everybody.